This is the Run Matters Podcast, brought to you by Skechers Performance. Go like never before. Welcome to episode four of the Run Matters Podcast, our first show in 2021. I'm your co-host, Neil Schwartz, and I'm joined by Mark Sullivan. Mark, how's your 2021 going so far? I'll just speak to the fitness aspect. From the fitness aspect, I'm off to a good fit start. We're really also excited to have uh, one of our regular contributors uh, join us today, and that's Amanda Brooks from our Run to the Finish segment. Amanda, how's your 2021 going so far? I agree with Mark. From a fitness perspective, I am pretty excited about how things are going. I'm really sticking to all of that core and strength work that we know us runners like to skip at times. (laughs) But really, what I want to know, Neil, is... How are you doing with the plan that I gave you? I knew you were going to bust my chops about this particular subject. And I want to say that I'm ready and I'm happy to report that I'm up to about 1.3 miles four times a week doing an alternating walk run kind of a program. And I have to say, I do feel better. I'm enjoying it. The weather down here in South Florida is very conducive so I can do it at different times of the day. And I'm wearing my Skechers Go Run Ride 8s and uh, really enjoying it so far. So Amanda, I've got to thank you for really busting my chops, getting me off the couch and getting me moving. Hey, Amanda, what are you wearing right now? Just out of curiosity. First, I just got to say, I'm so excited that you're taking those first steps. They're the hardest ones. Um, You know, I am really loving the Max Road right now. It's just a light but really cushioned shoe and it feels so good on my easy runs and long days. So Mark, what do we have coming up on episode four? We've called this show the collaboration episode and we have uh, conversations about a couple of great collaborations. Uh, we will soon be joined by Meb Klefeski and Kurt Stockbridge from Skechers talking about how they work together. Uh, Kenny Sung from Gazelle Sports in Michigan is our retail guest. And he will talk not only about his retail stores, but also his expansion into the restaurant business. And then coming back to the Run Matter stage will be Amanda with the Run to the Finish segment. Let's get to our first segment. We have for our listeners a special treat that we have been planning since day one of the Run Matters podcast. We have moved heaven and earth to make this happen. And through the power of technology, we have two very special guests coming to us from different corners of the United States. I am so pleased to welcome Meb Klefeski, world-class marathoner and Skechers uh, athlete. Meb, hello and welcome. Thanks, Mark. And uh, someone who has uh, emerged as the breakout star of the Run Matters podcast. He will be fielding (laughs) offers from Hollywood agents any minute now. (laughs) So we are thrilled to have him now at our bargain rate. Uh, Kurt Stockbridge, Welcome back to the Run Matters podcast. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here. Our goal today, and I'm going to slip it over to Neil in a minute, is to really have you two guys uh, talk and share with our listeners uh, how you make it all happen. Yeah, you know, it's really special, Mark, because we've been, you know, as you said, we've been trying to get this together for, um, you know, a number of weeks And as anyone who listened to previous episodes of the Run Matters podcast knows that, you know, Kurt has been on a number of times talking about, you know, how his process for developing of sneakers and and really what has gone into the development of the great uh, performance running shoes um, from Skechers Performance. And of course, Meb, who is, um, you know, one of the leaders or in fact, probably at the top of the sport of running. So as I like to say, I'd like to welcome the guy but also the guy behind the guy behind the guy. Here's how I want to start this off. Kurt, 
we've talked to both you and Meb. And, you know, one of the things that really hit me early was that Meb came to you with a need to have a pair of sneakers made in eight weeks for the New York City Marathon. Talk to me a little bit about the first thing you thought about when Meb said that to you. Well, we, uh, we, uh, we're so excited to meet Meb and Howie and they came and um, we had an, a, um, an amazing chemistry, I think from the very beginning, of course I was a little intimidated, but it didn't take long to unthaw a little bit because Meb was talking about, Hey, I've got, I still got a couple wins left in me and uh, we can do this. And um, so that, that got me really excited. And, and then once the deal was finalized, we, we realized that, yeah, heck we have, like you said, we had eight weeks, which is really short in shoemaking, you know, creation time. So we, we just got on the phone. Meb was really, he's in San Diego. He's really happy to come up uh, on a moment's notice. And he came up and, and we just, we just drilled down and talked about everything about what he needed in footwear to make, to help him win. And that's, that's what we did. That's what we approached it. And as we've talked in the past, it's, it's actually pretty easy to make a, a, a shoe for one person. And for Meb, he taught us a lot about racing flats. Cause we didn't have a lot of experience with that, of course, yet um, we've got, had a few shoes under our belt, but um, we learned a lot from Meb, and and so yeah, we we put it together and did some iteration, and and eight weeks later, yeah, he had a shoe. Meb, give that, give it to us from your perspective. You sign with Skechers August first, uh, and then you have to run New York uh, first Monday in November. So truly, we're talking a ridiculously tight time frame. Uh, what was going through your mind? Were you nervous? Were you excited? And, and what did you, did you have like your checklist of things you needed to communicate to Kurt? Well, I'm so grateful for Skechers and Kurt Stockbridge for the opportunities because when I went to Skechers in Manhattan, I said I wanted a partnership and, you know, Skechers missed an amazing casual shoes, but, you know, I don't know which one is harder to get, uh, get a pair of running shoes for in eight weeks or getting ready for a marathon in eight weeks, you know? So <laughs> it was the pedestal of a test, uh, but the chemistry was right on. Um, I, as Kurt said, I did say that I have a PR left in the half marathon. I have a PR left in the marathon. I can challenge for a win. So let's get it going. And, you know, not that they only make a shoes, but they made a shoes that, that was really comfortable, light, and a lot of cushion and allowed me to run to the New York City Marathon. You know, we had a little test at the Rock and Roll San Jose just to kind of see. And then after that, it's like, okay. We got to have at least one or two pair of shoes to get you wearing for November, first week of November. And, uh, you know, going to that race, I was excited. The opportunities, it was more really uh, a partnership that we worked together and uh, to test the body. And I ended up running a personal best in, uh, in 209, yeah. 209.13, which I, I was so thrilled. I just pointed out to the the clock. I said, that was a PR uh, mission accomplished. And uh, we were thrilled with the results. Meb, when you first met with Kurt, what were some of the specifications that you gave to him in terms of what it is you're looking for from uh, a shoe that you would wear in a marathon? When I went with Kurt, uh, I, I'm very particular and very detailed person. So I want the shoes to be very narrow. I want it to be snug. I don't want it to move around. And I also wanted to be light and a lot of cushion in it if it can possible. So it is a, I like to compare it, you know, you like to have a sports car, <laughs> you know, you want to be able to just uh, aerodynamic and light and cushy and flex, uh, you know, flexibility was important also. It wasn't, you don't want it to be rigid. So it was, you want that transition stride by stride from one mile to the next mile to make that 
as simple, as easy, as comfortable as possible. And, you know, Kurt ran right to work and gave me options. You know, we would communicate maybe at least two, maybe three times a week to make sure whenever I did a tempo or uh, intervals, I would say, I like this or I don't like this. And he would say, what do you think of this? Try this one. And he made full room of shoes for me to try out. So it was an amazing experience for me, but the interaction was just uh, very humble and very dedicated, very disciplined. And we knew it was a team effort. Kurt, take us behind the scenes because you're talking to Meb two or three times a week. What else is going on? Are you communicating with your R&D people? Are you guys doing computer designs? And then you source your shoes where? In Southeast Asia, I'm sure. So yes. how, how is the sort of behind the scenes stuff all going on with the factories? Are samples flying all over the world? What's going on? Busy. Um, the, the thing that you've got to make sure, like Meb and I are talking about a team and, and we're, we're such a close team, but we've got to make sure that the China team supporting us is just as committed and they understand the goal. So it's not just us, it's, it's a broader team of maybe 20 people working on, uh, on this project, especially with the, the time that we had. So um, I had to make sure that everybody was moving in the, the same direction and we did that. And that's one of the reasons we were successful. But the first thing we did was, yeah, in talking to Meb is he was able to express exactly what he needed in order to, to perform and win. And that's, that's, that's the most important thing because I know from my experience that if he can do that, then I can take that and make him something that's going to, you know, achieve his goal. Uh, the first thing we did is we started off with a custom lass, which is the three-dimensional form that the, the entire shoe is built around. Everything about the shoe starts with the last. And we, start, we started with that. We measured his feet. We got a lass. We, we had some, what we call a, like a, a pullover, which is just a really rough sample. Um, we sent that down to him. He tells us how it fits or how it feels. We make, make some notes. We make some changes. And this is the process. You just keep iterating until it's perfect. Because at the end of the day, we can't have Meb thinking about the shoe. He's got to be thinking about winning. Kurt, how many iterations or versions of the shoe did you have to make you know, within that eight-week period to get Meb what he needed for the New York Marathon? Oh, so it's, I would say probably five or six, seven. Meb, do you remember? <laughs> he, he did quite a bit more than that, I think. Was uh, it? Because, uh, <laughs> I was myself, but, give myself too no, much credit. <laughs> no, you were amazing just because, you know, the thing is, here's five, particularly try this, and then narrow it down to three. Yeah. Right. And then after that, narrow down to the one that you said, this is it, but just in case I have a backup. So in those days, in those uh, times with dialogue, we would say, you know, alter this, whether it's the, the tongue or altering the, the landing and the takeoff. And as we were running, Kurt said, I wanted to learn about winning or getting in the top place as possible instead of talking about my shoes get on lace or anything like that. So particular, so detail oriented into that to be able to just get, Hey, you know, focus is on you concentration on what you can do. Let leave that the rest on to me and just give me fact as much as you can with maybe probably like eight or 12 pair of shoes to just make, make sure you're comfortable with it. And if I remember, I don't, if I can just say to, to Meb, I remember your, your, my memory is coming back to me a little bit here, but you know, he's, he's like, he said, he's very specific about his needs, which helps me build the shoe but then also he was also open-minded like so we know that he's a bit of a heel striker and he expressed that and we knew how to help him with that like lower the, the offset of the midsole which means the the heel of the midsole would be a little lower to the ground than he's used to 
And that brings the center of mass forward, which we call now our, our midfoot strike technology. And he was open to that. Yeah, let, let's try that. And that actually helped him his turnover. It felt a little more smooth. And uh, and he liked, he liked that. Let's bring us up. Maybe we're like two weeks out from the race. Meb, at that point, are you holding shoes? Do you have shoes? And you're like, these are the shoes I'm going to run in? Or were you still sort of, you guys still tinkering back and forth with what would be the final shoe for race day? Going to the last two weeks of the New York City Marathon in 2011, we, we had shoes, but we have A and B. <laughs> so this is the plan, but we're still kind of, twinker about it whichever we feel comfortable with and i remember sometimes i would say hey kurt that shoe has to come by monday or something because i have tuesday intervals or mm -hmm. tempos and you know sometimes there's a deadline and i have to walk around the living room with the shoes just to get used to it before my next day workout and but going to the last two weeks of the race we were we had the shoes and now it's just do you feel comfortable with A or you want so on. I mean, sometimes it's maybe 49, 50% is almost equal or, you know, the chances of going, but you got to be comfortable, whichever makes you feel like, hey, I'm going to go with these shoes, but I'm going to have this as a, just a backup. So we traveled to New York with two pair of shoes just in, a, in, a, in case, but we knew which shoes were going to go. Was it like the movies? Did you have those shoes like in a seat next to you? Did you hand carry, <laughs> hand carry them on in your luggage? Or were you they didn't like... check them in his luggage? Are you kidding me? <laughs> they are, Mark, I have to carry those. They were gold positions. <laughs> All right. I mean, oh, absolutely. You know, I have always carried my... Uh, uh, backpack and those shoes, both of them had to be, you know, usually you can say the backup kind of let it go on the, on the check them luggage, but both of them were with me in my position. And, uh, and it was, uh, it was a thrill of a lifetime just to be part of a project, a part of, uh, something that we want, we were together to make something special happen. And, uh, I really believe that I was going to run a PR with the schedule shoes and the half marathon or full marathon. And, you know, to come across the finish line on my first trial or run a personal best was, was uh, monumental. Well, you know, they like to say play the result. And the result was, of course, you won the marathon and, you know, in these brand new shoes that were developed by Kurt. So, you know, sounds like it all is a pretty much of a happy ending there, guys. It was very rewarding. You know, we're going to have to stick a pin in this uh, interview uh, for for now, but we'd like you both to come back in a future episode. Kurt and Meb, are you up for that? I would love to come back and do it for another month. It was a lot of fun. Can't wait, Neil. That was fun. You know, Kurt, talking about shoes is really one of my favorite subjects, and I'm really looking forward to having both you and Meb back on the show again. Let's get to Retail Matters. Let's talk shop. Run Matters, Retail Matters. Welcome to the Run Matters podcast, Ken Sung of Gazelle Sports. Ken, great to have you on the show. Great to be here. Ken, how many stores do you have? Is it just that one store or do you have multiple stores? Gazelle Sports uh, is comprised of five stores. We have three stores on the west side of the state, Kalamazoo, Grand Rapids, and Holland. And we have our eastern stores in the Detroit market in Northville as well as in Birmingham. So your stores are not your typical run specialty store. You carry some, I think last time I was in your store, you had some soccer stuff. You have a ton of outdoor stuff. And also I was telling Neil before we started today, your stores are aesthetically some of the best looking run stores I've been in. Is that, can you talk about that? And is the whole aesthetics design thing, is that a, a conscious decision on your part? Yeah, we, uh, because of my background, decided that apparel was going to be an important part of our business and part of our strategy moving forward back in, back in the 90s. 
So um, as that evolved, and again, as we were very fortunate in being in, a, in, in the climate that we were in, where sales were growing at, at such a high rate, um, apparel become, became a bigger part of our business and still remains a, a pretty large percentage of our business. And we end up diversifying into some other categories, outdoor, that kind of come into alignment of, of lifestyle and fitness. Ken, I was on your website recently, and I know the pandemic has created, you know, an awful lot of unique situations. Some call it challenges and some call it opportunities. One of the things I noticed is that you offer something called personal shopping. Can you explain what that is and how you're using that? Yeah, we're actually offering a, uh, as part of our gift uh, card package, a, a personal shopper that would align to an individual we would get some information based upon that the person, the person, let's say we were gifting it to Mark, find out a little bit about, about Mark, his goals, you know, what's he into, things like that, and then we would either we can either do it virtually or in store, uh, have a one-on-one uh, consult to to, pre- to 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 offer product and, and utilize that gift card. Yeah, so that again is uh, for a run specialty store is a very sophisticated approach. It's almost like what the uh, old line department stores, Neiman Marcus or B Altman or, you know, people like that uh, offer in terms of personal shopping. Yeah, we, we know that, you know, 20% of our customers represent 80% of our sales if you play around with the, those statistics. And those are the key people that we want to make sure have the, the highest engagement with our with our business. I notice you do a lot of fun runs and clearly 2020, you know, has been a year that's been a bit challenged. What have you been doing in order to kind of replace that or supplement that particular part of your business? You're, you're spot on there, Neil, because it definitely has been a roller coaster right now. Roller coaster ride. We are definitely shut off right now because of uh, state restrictions. So what we did do was uh, offer kind of a a sign up where where we would allow uh, people to kind of sign in to a run and then we would track them. But then we would also uh, make sure that they were socially distant and, you know, kept them in, engaged in just a, a much different way than than we would normally would if we didn't experience this pandemic. So that's something I wanted to talk to you about is is sort of community engagement, which again, I've been in your stores and uh, as Neil pointed out, fun runs, in-store events, you guys do such a great job with that. How have you been able to kind of keep your community together and keep them engaged when you can't necessarily do a lot of the things that you do under normal circumstances? Well, we end up continuing our, our training programs. We had to do it virtually. Um, you know, we, we, we put on a, a pretty large event called Gazelle Girl event, uh, half marathon, and then we've added a 10K and a 5K to it. So we had, obviously, just like everybody else, had to go virtual with that event. Um, but we did have training programs and things like that already set up. So we ended up doing a lot of that virtually. We were already communicating with most of the participants uh, who engage in our training programs via email and, and you know, other, other methods outside of just physically but again, this just forced the it changed in uh, our our strategy quite a bit. What about things like uh, virtual shopping, virtual fitting? Uh, I imagine just like a lot of other stores, your your online business has really grown over the last six months. Do you think those behaviors by consumers will stay? And and as tools in your business bag, do you think those things will remain? I think that uh, it's a good question because. The crystal ball isn't quite clear. We didn't really predict this at all either. So, um, but we, we we have actually been engaged in our online business for the last 15 years already. So we were probably more poised than most. 
to accommodate for the changing consumer environment. Um, online is definitely going to be something that we're going to continue to be investing in. Um, I think that it has an opportunity not only to, to engage with this new consumer base that we're starting to see being more active, but then also help encourage our current customers to feel comfortable in supporting us. I want to talk to you about some of your other entrepreneurial interests. I know that uh, we spoke yesterday and you own a restaurant, and then you told Mark and I that you've opened up a bagel store. Give us the lowdown on that. Well, probably not the best idea to open up a, a new business in, in the middle of a pandemic, <laughs> but it was something that uh, we had, I had slated with my chef at our restaurant to do at the, uh, at the fall of last year. And you know we were planning on trying to open in out of all months, April of this year, and things just kind of came to a grinding halt pretty quickly uh, when we started seeing uh, some of the pandemic, and then we shut down on March 17th. So we basically put everything on ice until uh, June, and um, the concept being not just a bagel shop, but the concept being similar to what we do in the restaurant, which is a farm-to-table, create everything in in, in the facility uh, rest, uh, bagel restaurant. So um, we started getting going again in in July and opened in September to a quite the uh, quite the opening. Actually, we sold out for the first two weeks, not just in bagels, because we're in more than just a bagel store. We're you know we're doing a lot of sandwiches. Everything we do uh, is made on premises. All of our schmears, uh, we we uh, do our own uh, locks as well as our own um, do our own pastrami as well. So Neil, we're, we're excited to have you come out and test us. Wow, that was a good use of the word schmear. I, you just threw me a little bit for very a, impressive. A loop on very that impressive. Word. Sounds, sounds, you sound like a New Yorker when you say that. Oh yeah, and then you then then you transferred right over to the whole locks thing. So you really, uh, you know, very well done, Ken. Thank you. So, as a business owner, what are your similarities uh, in business philosophies between the store and the restaurant? Because really, you're both in the hospitality business, you're both in the customer retention business. Talk to us about that. Well, I think the biggest thing that I've learned from Gazelle, as well as watching other of our brands um, that we partner with, is it's really about brand building and creating great experience. And once you build, it takes a while to build trust. And trust is something that, again, is something that a brand can do, not just, and it's not a transaction. So one of the things that I've really focused in on, especially when the restaurant first opened, was really kind of being true to what we wanted to do, which was support the community, be very authentic, and really create an experience that is different than what is normally expected in a restaurant. Same thing can be held true in Gazelle. I mean, Mark, you spoke to it earlier. I mean, we are, we've kind of expanded a little bit beyond just what run is, but, but to, just to test. And, and again, I've always been a firm believer that the consumer will decide whether they want to support you or not with their dollars. If they're, if they're cheering for you, they're going to support you. And that's where the philosophies of, the, of all the businesses really make the most sense or are combined together. Let me ask you about 2021. You know, are you thinking about 2021, some things that you're going to do differently that you may have learned during 2020? What's on the plan for 2021? Absolutely. I, I'm looking at COVID, and I said this to our executive team this week, is I'm almost, I have to embrace COVID because it's really allowing us to look at things differently. And it gives us the opportunity to change. And I think we are all a creature of habit and, and change is really hard for everybody. But this has forced us to really 
take a look at within ourselves of what is possible and how we want to look at our business. What, what do we want? How do we want to come out of this in the next three to five years? And that a lot of that has to happen in 2021. And it's not just process. It's you know, how, as to to your uh, comment earlier, Neil, what's the experience going to look like? You know, what are what are the expectations that we feel like our consumers are going to have of us? Whether it's cleanliness, whether it's you know wh- how we how we engage with them, um, all those things have to be looked at. And I definitely am, am actually more encouraged about what we can come out of COVID with than than being depressed about where we've been. It's a, st- it's a leaping, it's a stepping stone to the future. So speaking of your executive team, uh, you made some news recently. You hired, uh, you put a young woman in as CEO. We're excited because uh, Jean, Chris, and I, who are the, what we call the the founders or the the, the main people, are, are, are wanting to hand off uh, the future of Gazelle to the, the next generation. So we've we put uh, Jen, who is Jean's daughter, in the position as being our CEO. And we have a, a strong uh, group around her the, of, of what we call the next generation who are going to basically take over and have started to take over the daily operations of our, of our business. You know, as this is episode four, we've interviewed three other running store, especially running store entrepreneurs. And, you know, the one thing that I have gotten from all of those interviews has been that, you know, they've really used a lot of creativity and there's been a lot of engagement on um, you know, taking Omnichannel to the next level by using, you know, buy online, pick up in store, curbside pickup, even delivery. Are there any particular aspects of e-commerce that you think are really going to, you know, remain a big part of the future for Gazelle? E-commerce is definitely going to be uh, is part of our long-term strategic plan and probably has uh, the most opportunity for growth as we kind of rebuild retail. Um I think the the biggest thing that we want to do is really build the trust, just like we do with our our, our brand already has a, a fair amount of trust, but it's bro- it's broadening that to a to an audience that we can't engage with, you know, as they walk in our store. So right. the 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 website has to be very engaging and very welcoming and understanding who we are in the community and what we represent. Ken, what do you think the future holds for the specialty running business in general? Here's your chance to to kind of just, you know, give us the the global view from Ken Sung. I think the the positives of the channel are, are continue to be to, to be uh, available to us if we want to just take a step back and just stay focused on who we want to be and what we want to be in our communities. And you know, I've one of the things that I've uh, I feel like. Uh, I, I've been talking to our, 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 our executive team about is there's a tendency of, I think, the channel being so product focused. And it's really not about being product focused. It's really being about experience, creating the great experience within our whatever the door, whether it's your, your, your brick and mortar or your e-commerce uh, platform is. But then also building the trust with our, with our communities um, is probably what we need to focus in on. And we get so... I think there's a tendency of us just being very focused on what the brands are doing or, you know, what product's going well. And at the end of the day, the consumer doesn't really know that. They know who we are. And I think that's the one takeaway that I feel like we need to continue to 
to focus in on if this channel wants to remain successful moving forward. Ken, we want to uh, thank you very much for coming on the Run Matters podcast today. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. I know Mark and I hold a lot of the things that you're doing in very high regard. So again, want to thank you for coming on the Run Matters podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I look forward to uh, maybe one down the, down the road again. Maybe we can come out and do one live uh, in uh, at Gazelle in uh, Grand Rapids. That'd be great. Ken, here's my New Year's resolution. See you in Carlsbad. Okay. Here's mine. Send me a dozen bagels. You know, send me an address, Neil. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. All right, thank you. I'm going to be waiting by my mailbox uh, for those bagels. Uh, I have to admit, bagels are definitely uh, another one of my favorites. But Amanda, I have to say that your inspiration uh, about habits has been a big part of my 2021 because I really have learned that habits are more important than goals and objectives. I love the idea that habits beat motivation because let's be honest, none of us are motivated to do anything every day, but a habit just becomes something you show up for and do anyways. Mark, would you agree in terms of your running? Absolutely. And the thing about, I, I think during the pandemic, when everybody's life becomes completely unstructured, I think habits are more difficult to maintain than ever before. But I agree with you, more important to maintain than ever before. Let's get to the run to the finish segment with Amanda Brooks. On your mark, get set, go. Let's run to the finish with Amanda Brooks. We are going to tackle a topic that is near and dear to both our hearts, debunking some running myths. So you go first. What's your favorite running myth? And then I'll tell you what mine is. Oh, the biggest one that I get to answer a lot is running is bad for your knees. Well, tell me how that's not the case. There's actually a number of studies that show running lubricates the knees as well as I have talked to a number of orthopedic doctors who say there's no higher incidence of arthritis in runners than non-runners. And of course, their runners happen to be healthier, so they're less likely to have issues. Okay, so along that same vein, running through the pain, I can't tell you how many runners I know who are obviously in pain and discomfort and they're hurting and they're like, oh, I'm just going to keep running through it. I am so guilty of this early in my running days. I forced myself to finish a marathon walking maybe a 20 minute mile because I was dragging my leg behind me. I thought that's what real runners did. I really did not learn till after that, that real runners know it's okay to stop and listen to your body. (laughs) So in the National Basketball Association, they call it load management, which means you should only play a certain amount of minutes per night or a certain amount of minutes per week. So Amanda, what is the running equivalent of load management? Oh, that's so well said. I think it is that idea of balancing your easy runs your speed sessions, and recovery. So I love that we talk about recovery more now. It's not just taking a rest day and sitting around, but it's are you stretching and foam rolling? So thinking about the fact that your body is your machine and you've got to take care of it. How do you take care of it? Just out of curiosity, what do you do on the off days, Amanda? I am a big fan now of doing mobility work. So it's a little different than just stretching. Um, It's more active. We're trying to really work on that range of motion. And then I I love on that foam roller. One of the things we talk a lot about on the uh, podcast is nutrition. And again, I'm an old school runner. I don't mind. I don't mind admitting to that. And for me, growing up, getting into running, it was always about 
carbo loading. You know, you had that big pasta dinner the night before the marathon. And, and that thinking has evolved as well. So Amanda, what's the contemporary thinking on nutrition and carbo loading? Yeah, carbo loading is fascinating to me, especially when it's like a 5K and we need a donut before and after. <laughs> um, so I think a lot of what we're seeing now is most of us eat enough carbs in our daily life that we don't need to suddenly go crazy with the carbs. In fact, the whole idea of carb loading came around through a military experiment where they deprived them of carbs for a long time and then suddenly let them carbo load. And yes, they went out and had amazing performances, but most of us are not depriving ourselves of carbs. We're just doing the part where we get to eat more. Um, so it's sort of interesting. Most people don't even realize that that first piece is what would make the carbo loading work. Wait, stop the clock for a minute. Uh, you talked about a donut before and a donut after, and you're really talking <laughs> my language. Um, you know, is, is that something that, you know, people really do? Is that something I can look forward to? Because I know Amanda, you know, you are inspiring me to, you know, get off the couch, get out from in front of my computer, get off my office sharing and get out there and run. But what's this uh, donut before donut after thing <laughs> going on here? I will say that most of the 5Ks I have ever been to, there is a donut at the finish line, which is usually more calories than you just burned. Um, so you really don't need a donut to refuel after three miles. Bummer. I was really looking forward to the, to the donut at the I'm end. I'm not of saying that. you can't have it, but it's really not needed. Donuts are, my, donuts are like my kryptonite. So it's the same thing with beer. I know particularly in the summer when there is a, a local fun run or a 5K, there's usually beer at the finish line. And uh, I will not lie, there are certain times that last half mile, my uh, my running thought is beer is coming, beer is coming. <laughs> you know, Amanda, how about strength training? I know you've talked about it on a number of episodes about, you know, how much strength training to do, what type of strength training, you know, where it, do runners need to strength train in addition to, of course, the, you know, the work they do out um, you know, out running. 100% need to strength train. I always think back to this conversation I had with Ryan Hall before he was running a race. And at the time he said, no, I don't strength train. That's not going to make me a better runner. I just need to run more. And of course he's done a 180 on that. Um, but we just have seen too much data that says for the majority of us, it's going to keep us injury free. And especially of course, as we get older, we need things to keep our muscle mass up to help us run as far or run as fast. So it has to be done. Amanda, you're a real name dropper. You're going to have to help a lot of us out here. Who's <laughs> Ryan Hall? So Ryan Hall was, you know, on the Olympic marathon team for quite a while and I'm sure holds a number of records. I don't even know all of his stats, but um, for those who have been running a long time, he was he was a big name. And his wife also is a big time runner, Sarah. Yeah, she's still crushing it. Yeah, more so more so than him, for sure. I would say the only other myth that's worth talking about is the notion of stretching. And I admit, early in my, early in my days as a runner, I thought stretching was a myth. But now that I am an older, more mature, more seasoned runner, I realize that stretching is extremely important. At least that's my point of view. Amanda? 
Yeah, it's funny because the science kind of goes back and forth on stretching and sort of says maybe it's not that necessary, but I always wonder who they're studying because we know we lose flexibility as we age. And if you don't have enough flexibility, you can't get the full range of motion. Plus we sit all day long. So I still think it's a necessary part of training. You got me out there walking and running. That's two out of the three things. I would take that as a win. We're going to talk about stretching in one of the future episodes. Amanda, where can people find you on social media? I'm run to the finish on pretty much every platform. And of course, run to the finish.com for all my articles. Mark, what do we have coming up on episode five of the run matters podcast? We have a retailer who's going to talk about two of my favorite subjects shoes and brews in Colorado. And guess what they're going to talk about? Running shoes and beer. We will also have part two of our conversation with Meb and Kurt. And uh, of course, we will be joined by the lovely and talented Amanda Brooks. Really looking forward to episode five. I want to thank Amanda, of course, and my co-host, Mark Sullivan. I want to thank our producer, Brad Maybe, And uh, we'll see you on episode five. Thanks for listening to the Run Matters podcast. Brought to you by Skechers Performance. Go like never before.